I'm Kimberly with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and this is Monty Judah. We're here today with our new edition of Q&A, what we're calling Good Questions, Real Answers. Monty, we've received hundreds of questions, and I know our viewers have been waiting a while for us to get back to this program. So let's get started with our first question. Amos. Question number one, several people have sent this in for us to answer. Isn't the war that is going on now in Israel, the Psalms 83 war, and not the Ezekiel 38-39 war, as you have referenced in several teachings recently, the Gog-Magog war seems to be a larger global conflict with a greater assault on Israel than what is happening now. Please explain why you believe the current war could be the Ezekiel war and not the Psalms 83 war. Well, let me correct something uh, right off the bat. I do believe that what's going on is associated with Psalms 83. Psalms 83, though, is describing an enemy of Israel. And Psalms 83 talks about that it's a people that love bloodshed. Mm -hmm. And they want to destroy Israel. Uh, the reality is that the Palestinian Authority, the, the Hamas, the Hezbollah terrorists, all of these Palestinians that are right now engaged with Israel, shooting rockets at them, doing terrorist acts and so forth. That's what Psalms 83 is about. Psalms 83 is not about a specific war. It's about an enemy that Israel has. And by the way, I think we're the last generation and we see that being fulfilled. And so I've been talking about the Palestinians and the terrorists fulfilling Psalms 83 for years. But that does not infer, because I didn't mention Psalms 83 at this particular war, that that's somehow not part of it. It definitely is. But let's talk about the, the other question about Ezekiel 38, 39. I'm aware that there's some other people that are out there quoting prophets from Amos and from Jeremiah and so forth, claiming that that's what this is about right now, as opposed to me saying Ezekiel 38, 39. Let me address the point that was made there. Ezekiel 38-39 talks about Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog is going to get mentioned at the day of the Lord. So Gog and Magog is definitely going to be the arch enemy of Israel at the end of the age. There's no question about it. Well, how close are we to the end of the ages? Very close. Well, I think we're very close. Yes, sir. So all of a sudden... Oh, it can't be Gog and Magog because we're coming to the end of the ages and we're seeing the final conflict coming against Israel in these days. I would suggest to you that's a compelling argument why we are dealing with Gog and Magog. Yes. Now, I'm also aware of the fact that a lot of evangelical Christians that have written a lot of popular prophecy books like to go through and talk about Rosh and Meshach and Tubal, and they try to define those out as to which nations are those, which peoples are those. Let me go ahead and give you my assessment, and I've gone through all of them, and I'm not alone on this thing. Rosh is really talking about Syria. Oh, not Russia. No. As some would... Meshach is referring to Iraq. Oh. Did you know that Saddam Hussein was called the Prince of Meshach? I did not know that. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't. Wow. Or that Tubal is specifically referring to, associated with Tyre, and southern Lebanon. Not southern Lebanon is where Hezbollah is at. Right. The northern enemies, if you just take those three things, I can show you a pattern. That's who we're talking about. Southern Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq. 
Well, guess who gets mentioned next as being a part of them? Persia. Tis Iran. Persia is Iran. Yeah. Okay, so you've got the elements mm -hmm. that are all there. Now, I don't think, because, and I'll be real honest with you, it's very hard to prove those identities. But right. suffice it to say this, that there is a, a pattern here in which there's enemies to the north, and that's what the prophets have all talked about. Joel's talked about the enemies to the north, Ezekiel's talked about them, and that this is the army that comes against Israel right. that is going to engage Israel at the end of the ages. Now, in particular, there's two statements that are made in Ezekiel 38, 39 that talk about the battle that are very, very significant for us to take note of. And that's, that, again, it lends evidence to why we're looking, that's what we're looking at being fulfilled. Number one, it says that they want to come and take spoil. And Israel is dwelling safely in unwalled villages. Mm -hmm. And right now in the West Bank, in where the settlement activity, those are settlements with no walls. That's right. And it has always been said by the sages of Israel and by those who have taught these prophecies that this is an obviously a modern times prophecy. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because villages in ancient times always had walls. Yeah. So here's Ezekiel giving a prophecy about unwalled villages. Mm -hmm. In ancient times, that was a very significant statement. That's talking about modern times. That's not talking about ancient times. So the prophecy is talking about Ezekiel 38, 39 as being in modern times. Wow. The sages of Israel have always said the following, that this battle will be associated in some form or fashion with the Feast of Tabernacles. Wow. And as a result, they have always commanded that the reading of the prophecy of Ezekiel 38, 39 be done on the intermediate Sabbath of the Feast of Tabernacles. When the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath occurs in, during the Feast of Tabernacles, you're to read Ezekiel 38, 39 to the people because that battle that's described there will get started. It will have something to do with the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this is, this is what the sages have been saying for years. Yes. Well, guess what? This war got started. When did it start? October 7th, the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Yes. Yes. It's directly associated with the Feast of Tabernacles and their celebration. Those kids that went out to that Noah thing, they were all dwelling in tents. Mm -hmm. They were going out observing the Feast of Tabernacles. They were dwelling in tents, camped out. That's what that holiday is about. So you have that connection and timing that we've got here. And I've been saying for years, I've been saying the same thing to the brethren, watch the Feast of Tabernacles and see if this is Ezekiel 38, 39 open. Well, boom, it happened. Yeah. Now there's a second part to the prophecy that is specific, and this is in chapter 39, where it talks about the weapons that are, it's gonna be a great army that comes against, but it says specifically that God in defending Israel is going to knock their arrows down and knock the bow out of their hands. Now, you and I think in ancient times of a bow and arrow, okay? But in modern times, I'll tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about missile warfare. We're talking about launchers that launch rockets and missiles. Well, what is the characterization of the military hardware right now between the armies of the North coming against Israel? It's rocket warfare. 
iron beam and iron dome have now come out. Guess what they're doing? Here comes these missiles across. Here's Israel knocking them out of the air. And oh, by the way, all of those videos that you've been watching lately of when it's not a building, it looks like it's trees and other things like that. Well, the buildings too. All those videos, you know what those are? That's Israel hitting a rocket launcher where they launched some rockets from that place. Where it's been hidden. Where it's been hidden. Wow. And they're hitting the rocket launchers. Mm -hmm. now, all those videos you're watching, you don't understand what you're watching? Yeah. Those are all the rocket launchers up in Hezbollah and southern Lebanon, down in Gaza and so forth. And we still have rockets flying and so forth. Here's the very language of the nature of the battle taking place. Now, am I saying that this is definitely the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38, 39? No, there's still something more to happen. And something more to happen is they need to send ground forces across the border. The northern border? There's a hundred thousand Hezbollah troops and Syrian troops on the northern border. Guess what their tactical plan is? I mean, this is anybody who wants to study this and find out about it. I can tell you exactly what the battle plan is. They want to invade the northern part of Israel and they want to drive and hook up with the Palestinians in the West Bank, the Sumerian mountains. Guess what Ezekiel 38 and 39 is talking about? The enemy coming down into the Sumerian mountains, the mountains of Israel. Yes. It matches the battle plan that they're all talking about. Now, have we seen the invasion yet from the north? Not yet. And the reason why we haven't is because the strategists right now are saying that Iran and Hezbollah and others, they want to see Israel become so engaged in the combat down in the Gaza Strip that the vast majority of their ground forces will be engaged with them, that that then will, they'll be tied up with that and they can't move the forces up to defend against a Northern invasion. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody is afraid that that's what's gonna happen. We're gonna have this Northern border front open up. It'll be a two front war. You're absolutely right. It's a very scary proposition for Israel. In fact, when that border does, that they, they do come across the border and that part of the war starts, this is going to be a touch and go situation for Israel. Israel's going to be in great, great danger. Then the Ezekiel 38, 39 prophecy, the great thing about it and the thing that I'm waiting with anticipation when the forces invade, because while we have had a lot of Arab-Israeli wars over the history of since uh, 1948, this war is going to be different, and this war already is different. This is not a war of, by conquest. This is not, we're not trying to capture land here. This is a war of elimination. Yes. They are trying to destroy and kill all of Israel. They want to take the place from the river to the sea. Guess where they want the Jews to go? Into the sea. Yes. They want to kill all the Jews. And that's the nature of this Ezekiel 38-39 war. And that's the language they're using right now. Okay. And the great thing, though, is the prophecy says God shows up for this particular war. And he uses this to reveal himself to the world to set the stage for the end time events of namely the Jews getting a piece of the Temple Mount, setting up the altar so that the altar can be shut down to start the Great Tribulation. Do you realize what would happen 
what is about to happen if this really is the Ezekiel 38-39 war. And God shows up and whacks the enemies of Israel and destroys the northern army in toto mm -hmm. completely. Do you understand how Israel will respond to that? They'll go get a piece of the Temple Mount. Yes. The enthusiasm for the nation of Israel and wanting to honor God, the God of Israel, will be tremendous. Yeah. And that may be what opens the door for Israel to get the, the altar. By getting the altar, we just satisfy the prerequisite to get ready for the great trip. How does the great trip start? The shutting down of the altar. Yes. That it'll take them a while for the world to catch up, and then they'll shut it down, and now we have the great trip and the final three and a half years. There's a very interesting prophecy also, Ezekiel 38, 39, where it talks about the devastation to the enemy, where they have to spend seven months burying the dead. Yes. And seven years of burning the weapons of war. Right now, there's enough weapons involved that it would be a major cleanup of the battlefield when this war is over with. I can assure you that right now, this war is totally different from all of the previous Arab-Israeli wars. We need to watch carefully. Now, am I saying it's the fulfillment? Not until we see the army invade. If we see the army invade it, now I'll be very direct and show you, hey, it's exactly as the scripture said. Now watch what God does. Yeah. So I'm not disputing the others in paying attention to it. This is a very significant event. But I think that we need to be cognizant of and pay attention to those prophecies and watch closely what takes place. Yes, indeed. It's very tenuous and scary times for all of us, but we keep our eyes well, on the let me Well, let me add one other thing. Right now, this little Gaza war, it's involved the entire world. Yes. All of the enemies of Israel have suddenly come out of the woodwork in all the different nations. Mm -hmm. Gog and Magog, we know it was Gog and those with Gog. That's what Magog means. So here's Gog, here's this northern army, and who's Magog? Oh, they would be the Hamas protesters scattered in all the nations of the world at the moment. All the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas protesters, and who are threatening Jews in all of the different nations of the world. They're threatening Israel everywhere. Yes, anti-Semitism. That, that looks to me like a worldwide conflict. It certainly does. It certainly looks like the earliest elements of another Holocaust. Yeah. By the way, let me add one other thing. This last week... There's a particular building that was a place, a Jewish center in Germany, that protesters went in and broke into it and lit it on fire and burned it. 85 years to the day, that's what happened and is the official start of the Holocaust in Germany. Wow. It was that building. Wow, that's very... You, you heard of Crystal Night? Yes. That was the building that was the first place and historians say that that's the place where the holocaust began they attacked that building again and burned it again this this week 85 years to the day that's amazing uh, i think that's significant i think we ought to be paying attention to what's going on yes absolutely you know, if we don't learn the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat them. Yes, and I think that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the Great Tribulation, our next question comes from Alana, and she says she has watched your teachings on this subject but wants to know 
where she can find the information about the 144,000 being the guardians in the camps of the righteous during the Great Trip. Okay, well, what she has heard me doing is the summary level of a whole great big prophecy in the Bible about the 144,000. The 144,000, for the most people, is introduced when we get to Revelation chapter 7. Mm -hmm. Revelation chapter 7, it specifically talks about 12,000 from this tribe and 12,000 from that tribe, and they're sealed by God. They put, put the name of God in their forehead, the seal in the forehead. And we get this description of these folks. Now, that comes on the heels of the question that was asked in chapter 6, the last thing that was said in chapter 6, because the question that's just been asked is, who can stand in the day of the wrath of the Lamb? Yes. So that's the question. Who can stand in the day of the wrath of the Lamb? Well, chapter 7 immediately goes, well, there's two groups. One... There's this group called 144,000. There are 12,000 from each of the tribes listed. And the second group are called the tribulation saints, yes. of which no man could number them. So chapter 7 is answering the question, who is able to stand the day of the wrath of the Lamb? Who makes it through the great tribulation and is able to endure and get past it? And who is not judged by the day of the Lord and the great tribulation? If you take that group, 12,000 of each tribe, there's an amazing coincidence. And by the way, in the Bible, there are no coincidences. Right. There's this amazing coincidence that there's a final battle with Moses and the children of Israel just before they crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land. It's given to us there in Deuteronomy, in which there were five Midianite kings. And this was Balaam. And you remember Balaam came down and convinced them to send their daughters down and intermingle with yes. the sons of Israel. And God judged them very severely. There were 24,000 sons of Israel that died mm -hmm. in a plague because of this judgment. And you have this famous story about Zimri and Cosby and Phineas impales them and, yes. and all of this. Well, God granted Moses one last battle, so to speak. And he dispatched 1,000 soldiers from each of the 12 tribes. And there were 12,000 complete in the army. And they went into these five Midianite kings, these city kings, and they destroyed them. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing was that when they came back, not one of those guys died. Wow. 12,000 soldiers went. And not one was missing at the end of the battle. They were all there. The scripture records they were there to receive the booty of the battle, and not one was missing, it says. Wow. Now, what the heck happened there? <laughs> well, what happened there was they went into battle. Did they get hit by swords and arrows and shields? And so, yeah, well, of course they did. Did they get killed on the battle? Yes, they did. God raised them up. They survived the battle. He raised them up from the battlefield. Wow. It's one of the miracles of the Torah, one of the kind of the hidden miracles of the Torah. Yes. And by the way, the book of Hebrews makes reference to this in the famous Hebrews chapter 11 chapter about faith. And it says, and women received back their men from the battlefield. They were raised on the battlefield back. And there was a resurrection. Wow. That is a well-known battle. It was the final battle of the wilderness journey. They used that numbering 
they use that to talk about this specific group of this number of each of the tribes of Israel that's going to be a part of the Great Tribulation. Now, why would you have a group of 144,000 sealed sons of Israel? By the way, they're not Jews. They're Israelites. They're sons of Israel. There's only the tribe of Judah is the Jews. And you could maybe argue Benjamin or maybe, but Benjamin is, is not listed there. And you could maybe claim the Levites, the Jews. However, the vast majority of them are Ephraimites. They're Israelites. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't call them Jews. That's something that Christians use as a term for it. A lot of Sons of Israel. Yes. Sons of Israel. That's who they are. And they're all over the world. Mm -hmm. And they are sealed up. Why would they be sealed up? And why would they have the ability to not die? Well, first of all, Revelation 14 says that same group is going to be the welcoming committee for the Messiah. When yeah. Messiah comes back into Jerusalem, they're the people that welcome the Messiah into Jerusalem. Oh, my 144,000. So they're a pretty interesting group that yeah. God has selected up. But let me, let me show you something that we find in the other prophets that is rather significant that is also about them. In fact, a, a lot of Christians don't know this, but the 144,000 are referred to as the remnant of Israel in the last days. Mm. Well, here's the 144,000 that list the tribes. That would be the remnant of Israel yes. that's being used. And they're going to be used in a very significant way. Now, the question that she says, well, where does it say that they're supposed to be protecting people? Well, let me read to you a prophecy that is about them. This is from the book of Micah. This is chapter 5. Let me begin reading to you from verse 7. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples like the dew from the Lord, like the showers on vegetation, which they do not wait for man or delay for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which if he passes through, tramples down and tears, and there's none to rescue. Your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be cut off. Hmm, that's interesting. This remnant of Jacob is obviously has a lot of capability. Yes. They're going to do warfare. They're going to be like a young lion amongst flocks of sheep. That's a that's a tremendous comparison. One of the things I when I've taught this before, I said, let's say that we're sitting in a room. You know, there's a hundred people in the room, and let's say that all of a sudden somebody brings a little lamb into the room. What do you think the reaction of the audience would be if you brought a lamb into the? Everybody would go, oh, how cute it is. It is. <laughs> Now, let's reverse that. Let's have a guy walk in with a, a big African lion. Everyone would run for the four corners of the room. They would be trying to get a way out of that yeah. room. Okay, that's the contrast that he's trying to say, that the power, the authority they have. How about let's have the power and authority that you could go through the Great Tribulation and you can't die. All you could do is have the power to deliver people. And... I think, you know, when the Lord says that he will be the defense of the people, and the reason why the 144,000 are going to be scattered all around the world to help the brethren is, one, it'll be leading the brethren where to go to be safe. 
And when the enemy approaches them, they will go out and they will face the enemy. And then we will take refuge in the name of the Lord. You know, the name that's written across their forehead. Yes. You'll take refuge in the name of the Lord. And you know what they're likened unto? What Revelation refers to them as? What's that? The wall of precious stones. Yes. If you remember New Jerusalem that's memorialized, mm -hmm. there's 12 foundation stones yes. named after the 12 apostles. There's 12 gates named after the 12 tribes of Israel. Why does it say that the wall is 144 cubits high? Because the prophets referred to the remnant of Jacob as precious stones making a, a wall. Wow. And they're going to comfort the people. That's a compound word. Let me give you the basic Hebrew understanding. Come on the other side of the wall. Come into the fortress. So comforting his people is they come on the other side of the name of where the name of God is. And the 144,000 go out to protect the people. Now there's some other references in there, but let me give you one of them. There's no weapon form that will prevail against you. That's more than just a, a wonderful word picture metaphor. It, that really will be true of them. There's no weapon form that will defeat them. None. And they will have the ability to deal with the enemies that approach the camp. So I believe the 144,000, when they spring up in the different camps, and they'll come in early in the Great Tribulation, they will be the ones that you'll, you'll pay attention to what they say, and you'll be behind them, and they're the ones that are going to deal with the enemies that come against the camp. So that's, that's a kind of an abbreviated, summarized teaching on that whole thing. But it has to do... <laughs> with God said he's going to deliver his people. Yes. He says in the great tribulation, Jacob's stress, but Judah, Israel will be saved. Now he's got to come up with some kind of way he's going to do that. I believe that he's alluded to, there's certain people going to be designated by God, anointed to the task, sealed in the forehead, and they're there for that function. They're not there to preach the gospel. Yeah. They're there to help deliver God's people yes. in that time of distress. So that's that's the quick summary for it. But again, if you'll do a study on the remnant of Jacob, the remnant, particularly about the last days, mm -hmm. you'll find it's really talking about the 144,000 and all the things they're going to be doing. That's an amazing connection. I'm And I'm sure that not a whole lot of people have no. that. To tell you the truth, I've, uh, I've found very few prophecy teachers have ever drawn the parallels of all the prophecies about the 144,000. Listen, one of the things that we always try to teach about Revelation, there's nothing new in the book of Revelation. It's really explaining a whole bunch of other prophecies that have already been given by the prophets. It's just summarizing and putting them in context with the other events. The 144,000 is a prophetic fulfillment picture of what happened with the battle of the Midianite kings at the end of the Egyptian exodus. And I'm sure not many have even made that connection. I know that when my family was first listening to your teaching on the 144,000, we basically sat through the first few episodes with our mouths on the floor because we had never heard such drawn well, conclusions. There, I do have a teaching series. If, if you want to know more about that, there is a teaching series that I've done. 
and it's called Defining the Great Tribulation. And what I do is I go through and identify all the different individuals and groups that are listed in, in the Great Tribulation prophecies. Who are they? What are they? What are they going to do? You know, and so forth. The 144,000 is an identified group associated with the, the prophecies of the Great Trib. That program will go into considerably more detail. I give you a lot more scriptures that shows how they get tied in. But you're right. Uh, there's not very many teachers that have got much out there about that. The only guy I've ever heard that ever really got into any of it was a guy by the name of Herbert Lockyer Sr. Herbert Lockyer, he's gone on to be with the Lord, but he's the guy that wrote all the books called All the Men of the Bible, All the mm, Women of the yes. Bible. He wrote a book on Revelation called Drama of the Ages. He's the only guy I could find that had anything really specific to say about the 144,000. In fact, I went and I knew him. I went and interviewed him and talked about that with him and conferred with him on some of this teaching that I've got. Other than that, he's the only guy I've ever heard of that ever really has weighed in on this. That's amazing. Well, we have had two questions this first episode, but that's all we have time for today, folks. If you would like to have the opportunity to have your question answered on this program, please email us at qa at lionlamb.co, C-O, and that is correct. It's not com. It is C-O at the end, and we'll try to get your questions on. As I said at the beginning of this program, we have hundreds of them that we're going through, but please do email your questions to us. We hope you'll join us next week as Monty answers your questions on good questions, real answers. Don't forget to like, comment, and share this program. Monty, thank you so much for your discussion today. All right, why don't we close with a word of prayer? Excellent. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the time that we've had together. Lord, uh, you're the one by your spirit that gives the understanding of your prophecies and your scripture. And I ask, Lord, that all that has been shared here, that by your spirit, you would uh, bring honor and glory to your name and encourage and edify the brethren. We ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Until next week, see you there.